Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Duel the Day podcast, where we had an awesome guest episode today with Leslie Davis. A little bit about Leslie here. Several years ago, she began a journey to get healthy mentally, emotionally, and physically. And through that journey, she learned a lot about herself, why she had the beliefs that she had, and why, as she says, just like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, she already had the way to get back home. It was by doing the hard work and healing the parts of her that were wounded in her childhood and later years that she was not only able to lose, but also keep off almost 100 pounds to this day. It was and is still a journey, she says, and what she shares with people is that they are not broken. There's nothing wrong with them, and what she shares is the big secret that she had discovered on her journey. She had a myself-sized hole in her heart and was filling it with what her drug of choice was, was food. Her book, You Can't Eat Love, How Learning to Love Yourself Can Change Your Relationship with Food, is a number one bestseller on Amazon, and it's still consistently top 20 in at least two categories since it was published back in January of 2021, all about the lessons that she had learned on her journey. Her big message is that you are enough. And that applies to anyone who's struggling to love themselves. And what she helps people understand is that everybody's on a journey. And just like when you travel by car, run into traffic jams. And she helps people realize and discover how, just like on the actual road, they can stay in their car, not park it, and not walk home. She helps them discover that they are, in fact, enough. We had an awesome time with Leslie today talking about a variety of great things including random intermittent rewards, a little conversation on emotional intelligence, and breaking the cycles of limiting beliefs that our families have had for for generations. Uh, It was truly a pleasure talking with her. She is an awesome human being, and uh, we hope to have her back again to, to continue the conversation. So if you guys enjoy this episode, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. That is how our message and Leslie's message can get spread through the wonderful interwebs. And with that, we hope you guys enjoy the show. Take care. Lessons learned from parents are, you know, learned by the children who then teach them to their children. We can break the bonds. We can break the cycles. There's so many different things that that people can do nowadays to make those sentimental items into art like a quilt's a great idea we could also just cut out the little logo on the shirt if you got like 10 shirts you put all those and then maybe you have like a little mini plaque and you throw in some golf tees in there and now you've got like a cool little logo thing that you can you know put right next to your desk or what have you there's there's lots of cool things that that i've seen with that you can use for old stuff like that exactly exactly rather than having them occupy space I like uh, I like where we're going here. Maybe I'll bring my computer down. I'll show you my basement, <laughs> so you got a good 
picture of where everything can be hung and all, all the old. So we'll just this will be a let's revamp the the man cave episode. Oh, you know what? <laughs> if you have a man cave, oh my gosh, that is so exciting because yes, yes, I would cut out the logo very neatly and then I would. You probably have some other paraphernalia from those exact same courses, and you can create these little vignettes of the courses and uh, yeah, that are course specific. Yeah. Yes. There yeah. You go. Just think how amazing your man cave would be, because then when people come down, they would go, oh, my gosh, you went to this golf course and you went to that golf course. And now <laughs> you're going to have to put some on your bucket list so that you have, you know, just the, the blank empty thing with the course name on it and start filling in your bucket list. Um, Jeffrey and Elizabeth are going to St. Andrews in a month. Oh, wow. Yeah, it'll actually be their second trip because oh. <laughs> they they lived over in the UK for a while. Um, wow. So I get to keep the dog while they go to St. Andrews. I mean, what kind of deal is that? I mean, <laughs> dogs are awesome, but St. Yeah. Andrews is that's a once in a lifetime thing. Well, not for them, obviously, but for me, it's like a bucket list <laughs> item. Yeah, yeah. So you create, you know, that little plaque whatever you decide that you're going to do and you put St. Andrews on it in a picture of the course and you have it sitting there waiting reminding you that this is my bucket list. Actually Ty that was that's this isn't a bad idea to throw in on your uh your random reward thing that you did recently. Mm. Yeah. But, some to, some stuff. Since you kind of built that and you know, like you listen to the entire podcast, like yeah. tell, tell us what that because that's yeah. I think this is an interesting thing for for people that are looking to lose weight um, or mm -hmm. just just make any type of change in general. I think this system is like a great way to to do that. Yeah. Um, so I listen I listened to a single podcast episode that was five five and a half hours long. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, I think this was probably two two weeks ago. It was um Jocko Willink's podcast. Oh yes. Yes. With Andrew he is awesome. Huberman. Andrew Andrew Huberman. Yeah, he's a a neuroscientist guy at uh, Stanford. Um and there was I mean, there were so many good things. I don't if you have time to split up five and a half hours, highly recommend yes. uh listening to it. But the one of the things that really caught my eye was they were talking about um <clears throat> our brain's reward system and he focus andrew focuses a lot on dopamine how it's uh it's confused that it's this pleasure molecule or he says it's the molecule of motivation and drive and so understanding how and when your body is producing dopamine you can really start to micromanage your physiology and how you do things so the one thing that he said is and this goes across all humans, all species, like everybody, the, what the best way to get maximum effort out of whatever the test subject is, is through, uh, randomized, um, inner, what is it? Randomized intermediate reward or randomized, um, intermediate reinforcement or no, sorry, intermittent geez. Intermittent. It's intermittent. Yes. Right, yeah. Enough. Randomized intermittent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so then they started talking about how you could set that up for, for yourself. So I made this like spreadsheet where I have like four, four big, you know, categories for me. One is going 
to the gym that I go to. Another one is doing some sort of 30 minute at home exercise, whether that's yoga, stretching, dumbbells, going for a walk, bike ride, whatever. Uh, third one is how I would define proper eating and hydration for the entire day. And then anything 30 minutes related to golf practice, whether it's doing something or watching something, whatever. And I had 30, 30, uh, numbers in each, each list came up with 10, 10 rewards for each one. Cause they, they said, uh, Andrew said that it's the best ratios, like three to one mm-hmm. to have for the, the randomness. And, um, so I use this number picker wheel every time I, you know, if I get back from the gym, you know, I'll sit down, spin, spin the wheel and we'll, we'll play. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And it's really frustrating because I've spun the wheel now two, four, six, six, eight times, and I've won once. So <laughs> this, ga- this game is rigged. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you bring that up. And I love Jocko. And sometimes, you know, his podcast can get a little bit crazy. Um, but I will find that one and I will listen to it. But it's really interesting that you bring that up because one of the things that I did um, accidentally back when I started on my journey to lose uh, the weight was I started recognizing that if I was going to do this, I needed to rely on myself to reward myself. I was not going to rely on somebody else to reward me because I'm going to tell you a secret. People can't read your mind. That's number one. And the second secret is it doesn't make any difference how clearly you explain or express your expectation. People are not going to meet your expectation exactly the way that you want it met. So what I started doing is I started writing down little teeny tiny goals, just like you were stating. And I would write down how I was going to reward myself when I accomplished those little teeny tiny goals. Nice. Okay. So um, when I was struggling, such as, you know, doing some exercise or following my food plan or whatever it was, instead of focusing on what I was struggling with, I would focus on the reward. Mm-hmm. And then I would make certain that I would immediately reward myself once I achieved whatever it was that I was achieving. And I hear you about spinning the wheel and the randomness of it. And the brilliance of the randomness is we have the expectation of the reward. So we keep going because we've got that expectation. Well, now, fast forward a couple of years in my life, in my journey, um, I uh, lost my, I didn't lose her. She died, my tiny toy poodle. And my um, youngest son said, you know, mom, you're much more active. Why don't you get a little bit bigger dog? I said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And I said, I could teach her tricks and do all these kinds of things. So um, I got what I thought was a 35 pound dog, you know, a nice size dog. Um, instead, Zone is over 60 pounds and she can Ooh. put her feet on my shoulders and, you know, look me in the eye. Uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but I started uh, doing dog training with her and teaching her agility and all that kind of stuff. And the dog trainer commented on this book, Don't Shoot the Dog. And I was intrigued. So I found the book. I read the book. 
And don't shoot the dog is, please, for all of you animal rights people out there, it is not about shooting animals. It's about understanding that we, the trainer, need to understand how to train the trainee because really they already know what to do. So people who are training animals and where this person developed their system from was teaching, you know, dolphins and whales and all that kind of stuff with SeaWorld how to do their tricks. You simply reinforce the behavior you want to continue. And here's the brilliance of the whole thing. You ignore, ignore totally what you do not want to continue. Because then it circles back to that dopamine thing. Mm -hmm. The reason that the child misbehaves in class and continues to misbehave in class is because of the payoff that they're getting. Yeah, they're probably getting some type of reaction from their friends or their teacher or something. Exactly. So the, that behavior is being reinforced. And the only way to stop, to break that cycle is to start ignoring it. So one of the things that I started doing, and I ask this of people all the time, is what is the payoff? If you are continuing to um, eat at night, what is the payoff? Mm -hmm. what, what is really and truly going on? And asking yourself, you know, what's really going on? But if we start rewarding and responding to the things that we want to continue, then we can start moving forward. And, you know, you guys play golf and Tyler, you work at a golf course. When somebody is doing something wrong with their stroke or their stance or anything like that, do you focus on what they've done wrong or do you simply comment on how they can make the corrections so that they're doing it right. So, I mean, it's always positive reinforcement first. Like, yep. you know, if they do something weird with one part of their swing, it's, hey, your tempo there was awesome, but this was just a little off. Try this, or I really like how you did that better this time. And do not a, because when you focus on, hey, don't have your hands there or don't have your feet this far apart, then it's like they're over the ball and it's like, all right, wait a minute. I can't have my hands here. <laughs> so that's like you're, you're focusing on where you can't have it and not where it should be. And exactly. And, and what happens inside your brain is that dopamine is, you know, popping in. And the dopamine, our brains don't understand the difference between a negative reinforcement and a positive reinforcement. They simply understand reinforcement. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing naturally in teaching people how to, to correct their golf game is you're focusing on what they're doing well, which encourages them to continue doing that well, instead mm -hmm. of, as you said, focusing on what they did wrong, because then they become hyper-focused on what they've done wrong. And then they're like, wait a minute, what am I supposed to be doing? And so then confusion sets in. And that's where the bad habits start, because that dopamine is reinforcing that bad habit. And we must break the cycle. And the reward that they get is you cheering them on and encouraging them and complimenting them on what they've done. So with, with everything else that we're doing in life, and especially if you're trying to lose weight or, or you know trying to break a bad habit, if we can focus on what we've done correctly and ignore 
what we've done incorrectly. Now, I'm not saying that we completely let it go because I don't, sometimes I can't let some things go. But instead, what I do is I forgive myself. I say, you know what? You messed up. It's okay. Let's move forward instead of dwelling on it. And in your comments that you're, you know, you give to your clients, you stated, I really liked how you did this. Now you were doing this a little bit incorrectly, but we can fix it. So you, you didn't completely ignore it, act as if it didn't happen. You called it out, but you called it out in such a way that it was just a hit and move on. Mm -hmm. Because then people are encouraged. Yeah. And if not, they, they dwell too much on those negative comments, those negative thoughts. And a lot of what you're getting at, I think, on top of understanding the positive reinforcement piece and being kind to ourselves whenever we do make mistakes, I think people can use this whole reward system to do to make any big change they want to make. But the I think the thing that people miss out on is it, it takes time to sit down, review what your habits are throughout the day, see what other options you have available to you. And then figure out different ways that you can incorporate those options or reinforce them. And sometimes that takes a level of honesty that people aren't prepared for, because uh, you're going to have you, you may have to totally change something that you do during the day. And that's where it gets tough. But you, you're right. You have to keep focusing on those small positive gains, those positive changes and reinforce them whenever you can. Well, and and being honest, being honest with ourselves can be scary because the easiest person to lie to is us. (laughs) The rest of the world sees the effect, the impact of the lies that we are telling ourselves. The rest of the world is not fooled, despite Mm -hmm. what we believe. So, as you said, you know, if we can sit down and get really honest with ourselves, and if we're trying to change something, my recommendation is that you start doing mini documentation of what your day is without any kind of judgment. Simply do a week worth of documentary. Now, a documentary has no judgment to it. A good documentary has no judgment (laughs) to it. And then you can observe what is going on, and then you can start making those tweaks. And as Tyler did, you can create that chart, and you can set up those rewards. Now, here's where a lot of people fall down in trying to um, make some changes. They don't believe that they should reward themselves until they've completely made the transition. And that's to me, is so um, unhelpful because just like Tyler does with his clients, you know, he's he's making small recommendations, small rewards, small positive comments, small, you know, little tiny acknowledgements as they're moving along because it's in the smallness that we are able to keep moving forward. We're looking for progress. We're never looking for perfection. That's a great point. Why do you think that is that people tend not to reward themselves? Is it because they think that rewards are only for like those big goals that you achieve or do they have like a, I don't know, an inconsistent idea of what a reward should be? Like what, why don't people reward themselves on a more regular basis? Do you think? Have you heard the phrase don't toot your own horn? 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> and how often have you heard that phrase? Uh, a lot more in Texas, not not as much in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, to to brag about yourself is considered not a good thing. It's considered to be conceited, right? right? So anytime we are acknowledging or reporting or rewarding ourselves for something like that, we are considered to be conceited because that's what society says to us, right? Right. Is society always correct? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Almost no. never. That's that's exactly right. And also when when someone compliments us on something, what is it that we normally say? Thank you or much appreciated or something like that. Uh, or it's no big deal. Mm, yeah. Isn't that um, right? Yeah. yeah. We we diminish we diminish whatever it is that we did by saying it's no big deal. Anybody could have done this, right? Yeah, instead true. of instead of simply saying, "Look, thank you so much. I really appreciate you know you acknowledging what I've done," because we don't want to appear conceited. Well, who in the heck is it that decided that this is what conceited is? Yeah, that's a great point. And the the other thing you just brought to my mind was like it I think it's also different whenever we're talking about interaction between us right now over this call in comparison to sports and other mainstream things because like NBA finals are on right now or there's a golf tournament this weekend or we got football coming up and if you interview any one of those athletes like they will talk like they're a little conceited to a point but at the end of the day that is their own supreme confidence and that's great, you know, being able to be confident about yourself. But like you're saying, in normal society, it's almost like we told not to do that. It's it's weird. We we are told not to do that. We don't want people to feel bad because we are better than they are, right? Yeah, and I don't know. To me, that's not the point where no one is better than anybody else. We all have different, you know, perspectives and lenses that we look at life through. So well, in a, a rising tide raises all boats, right? Yep. That's so one. when when I am confident within myself and when I am acknowledging that which I do well, and when I am celebrating me, then I am filling myself up to the point that I can be free to celebrate you. I can be free to acknowledge what you are doing and your accomplishments because I'm not starving and hungry to be fed internally. And this is one of the things that I, I really love about the game of golf. When somebody tees off, everybody there will compliment their stroke. What, whatever it was, I don't care if it ends up in the water or something, you know, everybody is in unison with either complimenting them or feeling bad about where it landed. If it lands in the rough, if it lands in the lake, if it lands, you know, in a trap or whatever, everybody is in unison with the person who hit the shot, right? Where else in life do you see people in unison? Families. But even then, that's not always yeah. the case. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know. Nowhere, nowhere else. Nowhere. Team sports, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. 
not in society for sure. No. And and just think if if in regular society, if we were in a group, even in at work, if we were in a group and somebody did something amazing or somebody did something where it was a complete flop, if the group were in unison with either the celebration or the uh, consolation, think how the person would feel. Right. Yeah, there's uh, you just made me think of something that that I noticed when I was working in the corporate world is this. Um, it's it's like a fear of failure. You want to do so much and do it perfectly because like you get this feeling like you can't fail or other people can't know that you failed. And to your point, if everyone was already on the same mindset that like failure is normal, failure is a part of how we learn. It's okay that my teammates may fall and stumble and fail every once in a while. Let's just make sure we all help each other when that does happen and continue to move forward. But that mindset is not, is not there, at least not in the corporate world that I experienced. Um, well, it's sad. not there because that's not what society is teaching, is it? No, especially through social media and I feel oh. like changing uh, societal norms. I mean, like I, I, heck, if you look back 15 years ago, I mean, dress codes were differently and that does drastically changed. What you can say and post and wear on social media has changed how people interact. And uh, I don't know. It's just tough to get a idea of like where we stand nowadays. Right. But in, uh, two things. Number one, I would like for you to develop a different mindset with regard to the word fail. From this point forward, the word fail stands for first attempt in learning. So the only way that we dictionary defined fail is when we quit. Mm. Everything else is simply a first attempt in learning. And the way that we learn is by making mistakes. If we never make a mistake, we never learn anything. We already know it. Okay, that's number one. Secondly, these days, it's become acceptable to not be kind to other people, to speak in an unkind fashion. And some people say, well, I'm just speaking my mind. Well, you know, we can speak our minds, but we can be kind about it. And um, I was reflecting since we talked last week, I was reflecting you know, how many ways the game of golf should be, and I really don't like the word should, um, should be incorporated in our regular lives because on the golf course, in the game, we're kind, we are polite, we are honest, but we don't berate the other person and we don't say, I have the right to do whatever. I mean, for example, if you're teeing off and you see, you know, there's a group ahead of you and they're not far enough ahead of you and you're, you know, an Olympic athlete and you tee that ball off and it goes 500 yards, what do you do? You yell four to warn them of the incoming danger, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when we are speaking so unkindly to other people, we're not bothering to yell four. We're simply saying, I have the right for my ball to land in the middle of that crowd and potentially hit somebody on the head. Yeah, that's a great point. Man. 
I don't know where where we got like lost or we we missed some of that because to your point, like uh, more people should just play golf because I mean we all all of us have played golf most of our lives or it's been around us most of our lives and like to us there's a lot of that comes natural. Now there I think there is there is another side of this and I want your I want your opinion here because it's not only that people should try and word things a little bit better to be nicer, but sometimes, you know, people are imperfect. We're going to say things that may not come out the right way. The other side of it is the other person or whoever those words land on that person taking in those words, understanding that the other person was probably not trying to hurt them and just fil- taking it through that filter before they respond. I think so many people like just react like they're being attacked as well. I think, would you agree that like more people need to to install that filter? Well, one of the things that I came to understand and I tell people all the time now is I can only control me. I cannot control anybody else. And how often do we say so-and-so made me mad, so-and-so made me sad, so-and-so made me whatever the heck it is, so-and-so made me. And what I came to realize is no one can make me anything except reservations for dinner. I I have a choice as to how I react. And it's my choice how I react. If what you say to me, I interpret as being unkind, I have two choices. I can either feel sad because, you know, what you've said was unkind, or I can say, you know, something, maybe they're having a not so great day. I don't believe the words that they're saying. And so I just let it fall on the ground with a thud and a splat. And when it falls on the ground with a thud and a splat and I offer no reaction, it all goes back on their shoes and nobody wants messy shoes, do they? Definitely not. So I I keep reminding myself, I own my feelings. You're not in control of how I feel. I have a choice. The only thing you can make me are reservations for dinner. And I would prefer it at a five-star restaurant, if you don't mind. Um, But I, I do not have to pick up what you're laying down. And if I'm being honest And if I'm being, you know, maybe I'm having an off day and I don't use the kindest words when I'm speaking to you, you have the same option. You are in control of you. You can let my words fall with a thud and a splat and it all get on my shoes. And I'm the one who's walking around with messy shoes. Which brings me around to another issue. How many times have you heard you shouldn't feel that way? Yeah, definitely heard that. (laughs) Okay, nobody gets to dictate how you should or should not feel. How you feel is how you feel. It makes zero difference if it is logical to somebody else. How you feel is how you feel. Because again, you are only in control of you and you have a choice as to what you pick up. But nobody gets to tell you how you should or should not feel. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing we can control is how we react to certain situations. Um, It's definitely hard to control our feelings in certain situations, but we can. One of the things I like to try and tell the younger generation is it's okay to feel feelings of anger or hurt or sadness or loneliness or what have you, but also realize that all feelings are temporary. 
that that feeling is not going to be with you forever unless you like are only thinking about that one thing, which does happen a lot nowadays, but those feelings are never permanent. So let, let that feeling come in, let it do its thing and then let that feeling pass and move on. And that way you're, you're getting that experience. You're being present and in the moment, letting your feelings take their course, but you're not letting it overwhelm you because too many people in the, in this younger generation, just like, Oh, I'm lonely. And then they search for loneliness or what to do when you're lonely. And then they start doing that thing. And then I'm still lonely. It's just like this constant cycle. It becomes a hamster on a wheel. And it's not just the younger generation, you know, the older generations have been taught that they should not be feeling a certain way. And I, I say to people, if we don't feel what it is we're feeling, it's going to come out somehow. And one of the things that I came to understand about myself is as a consequence of not acknowledging my feelings of loneliness, of anger, of all that kind of stuff, I had all this tension that was building inside of me. And I needed to do something to relieve that tension. And so I started using what I call my drug of choice, which is food to kill the pain. We are going to do something because we're humans. We can't handle tension. And if, you know, if we're not being, uh, if we're not speaking to people like yourself who are saying, you know what, your feelings are okay. It's okay to feel, sit in the feeling as long as you can sit in the feeling and let it pass as much as you can let it pass. And let's develop some skills and some techniques so that we can handle it. And we can learn to breathe and we can learn to, you know, write. I don't like to use the word journal because I always swore I would never be somebody who journals, despite the fact that I now have a stack of notebooks, probably two feet high. I do not journal, but (laughs) I learned, you know, if we have conversations with ourselves about what we are really feeling and thinking, that we can get those hamsters off the wheel inside of our head. Because as humans, we want to be heard. And oftentimes when we're stuffing down the feelings, it's because we're not feeling heard. Well, who is with us all the time? We are. We are. And so if we start learning how to have conversations with ourselves, and we start speaking to ourselves the way that we wish other people would speak to us, then that tension starts easing because our needs are being met. Our desires are being met. We are feeling heard. And I don't know if you've ever met people who talk incessantly. Those people are desperate to be heard and they are talking to talk because they are so desperate to be heard that they keep talking. Now, that doesn't make sense, but it's the truth. Yeah, and it's when we feel heard that we are able to stop talking. Yeah. Yeah, they're trying to find that one link so that they can connect with other people, feel heard, and things like that. You you bring up a good point, though, that there's, I don't think it's just this generation or an older generation. I think there's been a, I don't know, something within humans for a very long time that suppressing your emotions is shows strength or power or what have you. Then I don't know where we got that 
from i don't i wish i could go back in time and be like yep that was the day that's when it all happened but i i don't know i i don't i don't get it personally i guess i was i was raised differently or i've seen world the world through a different lens but i would urge anyone listening to this or that reads your book leslie just don't suppress those the every time i hear about people suppressing their emotions i think about something that my my grandfather said and translated to english because he said it in spanish but more or less like he said your emotions are like acid if you hold them in your body for a long enough period of time they're going to burn burn away or burn out from the inside you have to whatever acid comes in whatever emotions come in you have to let them out eventually and whether that takes 20 minutes or a week or a month, whatever the time frame is you just can't hold it in forever and so i because of that i've always thought that it's okay to show emotion but like we're talking about society says no no don't do that <laughs> Look, you know, you're from a Latin background and yeah. Latins historically are you know, a little bit more emotional than yeah. um, anybody else. And that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. Um, you know, to me, I think that it kind of goes back, you know, to the military side. You know, men weren't allowed to show emotions if you're you're a wimp or whatever. But also just regularly how many fathers have said to their sons through the multitude of generations over the thousands of years, uh, you're a, a wimp if you cry. Mm. You know, the, the message has been handed down and handed down and handed down. And I speak to people in the UK, you know, the UK came through World War II. Well, a lot of that philosophy that got them through World War II, which was, you know, stiff upper lip and all that kind of stuff that is still permeating today. Hmm. And in the U.S., you, you know, we we come from that pilgrim background where you have to be um, very staid and very unemotional and all that kind of stuff. Right. So if we look at way, way, way back, you know, we go back thousands of years, it's been brought forward. It's only been really and truly, if we are honest with ourselves, within the last 30, 40 years, that we're starting to recognize that emotions are critical. Emotions drive a lot of things. And let's, let's, I mean, I don't really want to go there, so I'm not going to go there. But <laughs> Lessons learned from parents are, you know, learned by the children who then teach them to their children. We can break the bonds. We can break the cycles. But then we can be viewed, and this is where we need to be brave. We can be viewed as being weird or touchy-feely or any of those kinds of negative connotations, mm -hmm. which brings me back to I can only control me. I can't do anything about you. Your thoughts, your feelings are yours. They're not mine. I can pick up what it is you're saying if I choose. Everything else I can let fall on the floor with a thud and a splat. And it's on your shoes, not mine. Yeah, well said. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's why it's just so important to you always continue to to learn and seek out new information because if you just default to oh, this is what my dad did so this is what i'm going to do 
with my kids, or this is what I saw, you know, from my family. And so this is what I'm going to continue, continue on. You know, if you don't have the ability to continue to broaden your perspectives and want to change those things, you're just going to default. It's, it's just, it's, it blows my mind how much of a sponge kids brains are. I mean, the other day I was out in the living room and I was playing, uh, my son who's our oldest son who's two was trying to throw this like little foam soccer ball, like up in the air. And he was like holding it with both hands and like trying to throw it over his head. And he would like hit himself in the face. (laughs) It's just, it wasn't going well. And like, then I like picked it up with one hand and kind of like just tossed it straight up and like, let it fall on the ground. And I just did it once. And I walked out of the room and I came back in and I, he was like standing over the ball, trying to pick it up with one hand and he did. And then he kind of like, turned it over and like was like looked up and like dropped it and he was just like studying the situation and it's just like i did that one time and i he barely even saw me do it but there but there you go i mean it's all every little thing you do and to go back to what you were talking about with suppressing emotions and stuff if you don't have your parents didn't talk about it they didn't have conversations on an emotional level like they just were all about the facts and that was how they talked that was how they argued that was how they solved problems you just you don't see that that's okay or that it's there's something different so when you go to you know being told like oh you know you're a wimp if you cry or you know rub, rub some dirt on it you're <laughs> you're you're tough um it's just you he- hear those things over and over again and you don't see what truly is okay that's better for you mentally better for you long term better for just your overall emotional and physical well-being you you just you don't know that it's there you don't know that you're doing something wrong until you come across somebody like yourself who says otherwise or a podcast or a book or you know, all it takes is one person to say, Hey, have you, have you read this book or have you seen that? Or, and it's like the whole cork comes off the bottle. It's like, there is so much else out there that I never knew about. But now that I've was pushed in that direction one time, it's like, okay, now I just want to know everything. (laughs) Like what, what have I been lied to (laughs) for my entire life? Basically. Right. And it's just, that's just why I, I love love these conversations and just all the stuff that, you know, people like yourself, Leslie are doing. Um, I mean, it's, it's just really cool to be able to learn and uh, just try to figure things out and make, make everything better. One, uh, one generation at a time, you know? Well, well, and what you guys do is so important. And um, I really, if I can go, touch on what you were just saying, you know, when, when we're raised inside of families, we believe that that's how the world is. And we don't understand that there could be a different way. And I tell people a lot of times, it's like, if you were to come to me and you were to say, do you like my blue shirt? And I were to say to you, what do you mean? It's blue. It's green. No, no, my shirt is blue. No, you're Tyler, your shirt is green. 
And if I were somebody that you knew, liked and trusted, you would start doubting your belief that your shirt was blue and you would start believing that it's green because I'm somebody that you know, like and trusted. Mm -hmm. So you go off to a world, a land where people are more um, uh, informed, a little bit healthier mentally, physically and emotionally. And you were to say, hey, what do you think about my green shirt? And they say to you, it's not green, it's blue. And so then you're like, wait a minute, hold on. Um, what else have I been misled about? Yeah. And as you said, you know, the the mirror cracks. Yeah. And we start seeing, okay, well, what what else is going on? And I can't remember what movie it is, but there's a movie where you know the the outside layer starts cracking and the inside person starts really coming out. Um, it may be a men in black or something. I don't know, but it doesn't matter what we when we encounter someone who points out to us that all of our thought, not all, but the majority of our thoughts and beliefs are not correct, that our shirt is indeed blue. Then we have to start questioning, OK, well, what else is going on? Mm hmm. And that can also create tension within your family of origin or the people that you're around because people don't like change. So as you start accepting that your blue shirt is indeed blue and not green, the people that you've been around who convinced you that it was green, they start wanting you to go back to believing that it's green. And this is where we need to find other people who know that our shirt is blue and not green so that we're able to maintain that growth instead of sliding back to where we were. Mm -hmm. Because the people around us want us to go back to believing it's green. They have no desire. It doesn't yep. serve their purpose for us to know that it's blue. Yeah. And the, the other thing there I was just made me think of is the, you know, since you've asked this question of us a lot of times, how many times have you heard, Oh, it's, it's not about, it's not about the money or the money isn't everything. Right. I think that is a common phrase that I heard a lot growing up while the actual at that phrase at face value is very good. Like the intention is good because it's not, there's a lot of other ways how to live a rich full life. You don't have to have oodles of, of money like these guys on the live golf tour now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's but what it does though is if you hear that over and over again and i think it's almost a justification of the people that are telling you because they kind of lost what they wanted to do they're settling they're justifying their own circumstances of hey you know i don't have as much as i want to or it's struggling so i'm going to then teach hey you know money's not everything because you know me being the person saying that doesn't have it and so I'm justifying my own situation and continuing that thought process. But what that does from a limiting belief standpoint that I know that I had experienced is that, okay, so money isn't everything. So now I don't need to go after it. Like I don't need it that much, or it's not something I can do whatever I want and it's okay. Or money is bad because it's not how you live a rich life. So when you are getting told that now you are also all of a sudden have this negative connotation on money where it's simply just a tool, right? 
a lot of people mm-hmm. can do a lot of good stuff with a lot of good money, but just that simple thing of saying over and over again to a, a, a young person to justify your own situation while the intention could be good. There's all sorts of downward spiral effects later on. And, and I mean, it can apply to anything, but that was just the, that was one thing I had been told a lot. Well, well and, and I'd like to ask people, um, we, we need to figure out where this came from. And I tell the story of grandma's pot roast. This little girl and her mother and aunts and her grandmother, they're fixing dinner one night and they're fixing pot roast. And the little girl says to the grandmother, grandma, Mom says that your pot roast is absolutely the best pot roast in the world. And the secret to your and and there's a secret to your pot roast. And the grandmother is saying, well, what what are you talking about? Well, mom says that you have to cut the pot roast in half. Now, I'm just wondering, why do you have to cut the pot roast in half? And why does that make it the best pot roast in the world? And the grandmother looks at the little girl very, very puzzled. She's like, what What the heck? I had to cut it in half because it wouldn't fit in one pot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so how many things in our life, how many stories are we told that are grandma's pot roast? Exactly. And how open are we to those new perspectives whenever they come about too? Like one of the things that, uh, impacted me whenever I heard it and learned it was that all of the experiences in my memory of my parents teaching me things and what have you, those were just my parents, two individuals that were doing the best with what they had at that time. They were not complete individuals. They were not perfect. Even though I may have felt that way and still do to a certain extent as their child, they're, they're not perfect. And so if we think that, if we understand that, okay, that means that maybe they weren't totally right about whatever they told me when I was growing up, or maybe they missed telling me something that could have impacted me differently in life. And so being open to the fact that there may be something different, maybe a better perspective, that's equally as powerful is understanding where those limiting beliefs are and where they're coming from. Well, 100%. And, um, you know, so many times we want to blame our parents for where we are. And once, uh, once I understood, you know, as you just said, our parents are humans. They did the best that they could with the information that they had at the time that they were. But also, let's take it one step forward, you know, one step backwards, actually. Their parents did the best that they could with the information they had in that moment and their parents. So we can keep going back because just like grandma's pot roast, things come forward and we don't always understand why. So once we start questioning why, then we can have a better understanding of why we cut grandma's pot roast in half to make it the best pot roast in the world has absolutely nothing to do with it being cut in half. It just didn't fit in the pot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that, that then translates to having a better understanding of what we can pick up and what we can leave behind. Right. Because if it no longer serves us to cut the pot roast in half, we can leave it whole because we've got a pot big enough for it to fit in 
then we can cut out that step and keep moving forward. But we can question, we can ask. And if your parents are still around, I suggest that you ask, why do you believe this? Why do you think this? Why is this a quote unquote tradition? And it's not that I'm against traditions, but I think that memories are more important than traditions. Um, You know, why is it that we have these thoughts in our family? Why is it we have these beliefs in our family? And start asking the questions and then listen to the answers. And then make a decision, okay, this is going to serve me. This is not going to serve me. I can do this differently. I can move forward in a different way from this, or I can continue on because now I understand why I'm doing this. I think that's perfect. And uh, I I don't mean to, to cut us off here. I just, I love the I love what we've said in the time it's and just being respectful of everyone's time. I think that is, that's a great place to end it there. And now before, before we do kind of close everything off, um, Leslie, please let everyone know how people can find you, tell them about your book, give them a little short summary of, of who you are and, um, and how they can reach out to you. Well, the easiest way to find me and anything and everything about me is on the website, which is youcanteatlove.com. Um, and you can't eat love or you can't eat love. The book is about my journey of what I discovered of learning to love myself and changing my relationship with food. Uh, and as a result, I lost almost 100 pounds. Um, but I, I'm a person just like so many of you who was lost thought that nobody loved me, nobody cared about me. And what I discovered was the only person who did not love me was me. And so I was busy filling the myself sized hole in my heart with food. Um, But if you reach out to me, which there is a place, there is a contact place on the website, youcaneatlove.com, I will respond to you. I've had people say, oh, you're a real person. Yes, I'm very real, just like you. And I really would love to hear from you. Also, if you're looking for the book, you can find that on the website. And that's youcaneatlove.com. And this has been so much fun talking to you guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on and giving us some of your time. Love the perspectives and what you said today thank you thank you absolutely